Okay. I'll now call the regular planning commission meeting of Tuesday, December 5, 2023 to order. I will ask the clerk to please call the roll. Good evening, planning commissioners. Chair Klein. Here. Vice Chair Rudin. Commissioner Wilkerson. Courtney, Commissioner Vargas, Commissioner Lightfoot, Commissioner Bounta, Chair, we have a quorum. Nancy, uh, will everyone please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance and I'll ask Commissioner Lightfoot to please lead us in salute to the flag. To the flag of the United States of America. We will now move on with regular business, starting with communications. At this time, I will ask Seth uh, if there are any communications or announcements for this evening's meeting. Thank you, Mr. Chair. There are none. Thank you, Director Morris. We'll move on to approval of this evening's agenda. Do I have a motion? Moved by Commissioner Wilkerson. Do I have a second? Second. Uh, seconded by Vice Chair Rudin. Will the clerk please call the vote? Commissioner Wilkerson. Commissioner Lightfoot. Yes. Commissioner Yes. Vice Chair Rudin. Yes. Chair Klein. Yes. Motion passes. Thank you, Nancy. Next item is business from the floor. This portion of the agenda is available for the public to address the Planning Commission on any issue that's on the agenda. Uh, there will be a limit of three minutes per speaker. I welcome anyone who wishes to address the Commission regarding a topic or issue that is not on the agenda to please line up behind the podium. Good evening, Tonya Espinosa, North Village. One, I just wanted to come up here and commend you uh, for listening to us. We asked for notification um, or better notification and my neighbors, myself, um, our immediate area received the new project notice for North Village. However, some people in Leisure Town did not receive it. Um, so. I don't want to take away from a compliment in the fact that thanks for listening to us. However, if we can still extend to Leisure Town, that would be appreciated. Regarding this, I understand it's very early in the process. However, before anybody votes on this, and I know we still have our community meeting, I would like all of you to drive out there and physically see the site and see how it's going to impact the residents where you plan to put this. I walk my dogs by there daily. And there's literally not enough room if somebody is bringing their dog on a walking path and I'm cutting through, there's not even enough room for us to keep our distance, much less to build homes with 60 parking spots that are probably gonna impact my personal street because people are gonna start parking there even though it's a cul-de-sac. So I just urge you all for the North Village new project, Lot E, that you go out and physically look at the site and don't just take it at Google's value 
actually see what it looks like in person and fathom building there with 60 parking spots that, you know. Anywho, thank you again. Have a good evening. Thank you, Ms. Espinoza. Uh, is there anyone else who wishes to address uh, business from the floor? Seeing none, I'll close business from the floor. Um, now is the time for the consent calendar. We have one item on consent, which is the minutes from November 7, 2023. Uh, does anyone from the commission or the public wish to pull the consent item for discussion? Okay, do I have a motion? So moved. moved by Commissioner Wilkerson. Do we have a second? Second. Uh, second by Vice Chair Rudin. All in favor, please say aye. Aye. Opposed? Okay, consent calendar approved. Well, now uh, our next item here is uh, business. Uh, the um, private arts and murals program study session. Um, whoops, skip the page. Our next item, uh, item seven, um, we'll move to uh, impacted communities study session. I see uh, um, we have uh, assistant planner Edward Lincoln will be leading us tonight on item 7A. Um, we will first hear a presentation by staff followed by commissioner questions and then we'll open it up for public comment. Uh, assistant planner Lincoln, the floor is yours. Hello chair, hello. Uh, commissioners, um, I'm Edward Lincoln, and I'm here, uh, and I'm ready to guide you through this study session on impacted communities. Uh, with this study session, we're requesting that you receive this presentation regarding the mapping of impacted communities in Vacaville and the implementation of the general plans, community health goals, policies, and actions. Some background includes in 2016, that SB 1000 was adopted, which requires local governments to address environmental justice in their general plans and to identify impacted communities. In 2018, Senate Bill 1000 became effective. And this year, Vacaville City Council adopted community health goals, policies, and actions. Impacted communities are areas disproportionately affected by environmental pollution or contamination that can result in negative health outcomes. Three census tracts within the city experience higher levels of environmental issues, such as unemployment, pesticide use, asthma, traffic impacts, groundwater threats, hazardous waste, and solid waste. These areas are identified as impacted communities in the general plan, and the city council adopted community health goals, policies, and actions to improve the overall health of Vacaville residents in these areas and citywide. Some of the criteria that we use for consideration includes the California Environmental Health and Hazard Assessment, uh, Cal Enviro Screen 4.0 Program, census-based analysis, including 21 indicators um, with examples of impacts, including high asthma, low birth weight, unemployment, and exposure to hazardous waste and pesticides. Vacaville consists of 21 census tracts. Uh, the impacted communities are located in these three tracts, 
Track 2904, 3101, and 3205. Indicators of impacted communities include asthma, traffic impacts, hazardous waste, solid waste, low birth weight, and cleanup sites. This map here depicts all three of the census tracts. Census Tract 2904 includes North Village, the Northeast Growth Area, east of Leisure Town Road, Play for All Park, and the Entertainment Business Park. Uh, some of the health concerns include high rates of asthma, groundwater threats, and hazardous waste. Census Tract 3101 includes downtown, Montgomery Estates, and the Ranch Commercial Center. Health concerns here include vehicular traffic, drinking water contaminants, and high rates of asthma. Lastly, we have Census Tract 3205. The affected neighborhoods here include Sunridge, Sungate, and Bennett Hill subdivisions. Health concerns here, again, we have high rates of asthma, impacts from vehicular traffic, and hazardous waste. We need to be proactive in addressing community health issues facing the city's impacted communities. We need to work with the development community to ensure design elements are included to reduce community health impacts. We also need to work with other partners such as the Solano County Public Health, local, house, local hospitals, and explore ways to protect the city's residents. Efforts to plan for the east of Leisure Town and northeast growth area present opportunities to improve community health in Vacaville. In conclusion, the city must continue its efforts to work with the development community and other partners to improve conditions in Vacaville's impacted communities. We need to implement the city's community health goals, policies, and actions, and also goal LU-11 and goal LU-12. This concludes this presentation, and I am here to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you, um, Edward, for that uh, brief and um, uh, to, you know straightforward presentation. I uh, appreciate it. Um, before I um, offer my comments, I'll ask uh, other members of the commission. Commissioner Banta? Hi. Oh, you're on. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Um, I have some questions. What was the methodology that we used to decide on the three census tracts? I know when I read the PlaceWorks evaluation, they said that there was two different methods. There was method A, which did a statewide census tract, and method B, which was a city, a city one. Um, which one, and then it said somewhere in there, PlaceWorks will, will work with the city to finalize the methodology. Did we decide on which methodology we were going to finalize on to decide these three census tracts? It was essentially a hybrid. Um, this was discussed in the staff report when we brought the community health goals, policies, and actions through commission and council, but we did use a hybrid method. Okay. And then, and I know this was put in the general plan. Um, I guess my question is, 
A disadvantaged community is defined as somebody that's a community that's low income, correct? By Senate Bill 535? It's actually one of the characteristics. Just one of, of the dis, characteristics? Just one of the characteristics, okay. yes. There's other census data that's used to define that, not gotcha. just low income. Not just the one low income. All right, and then that's it for right now. Other commissioner comments? Vice Chair Rudin. Waiting. Oh, there we go. Uh, thank you for the presentation. So going forward with new developments, it seems like it'll be you know easy to tackle these. Just curious, how is the city going about uh, to kind of help uh, the established neighborhoods, the older neighborhoods where they are being impacted? I think this, do you guys want to take a stab at that or would you like me to? Sure, sure yeah, yeah. Um, the very next item on the agenda for tonight is talking about one of those items. Uh, there's a variety of different tips and tricks that we intend to deploy. A lot of it involves researching to figure out what's the best way, best way to communicate this information to the public. One of them involves uh, how to improve indoor air quality. For homeowners, that's too soon to segue. Then <laughs> we we will get to there. You know, we were trying to be intentional about. Hey, here's here's where our impacted communities are within the city. Now that we know, let's start deploying all these strategies to these specific areas. Okay. And up that's next is one of those <laughs> methods to deploy. Got it. Thank you. I just wanted to add, uh, Vice Chair Redine, that part of why we started off by mapping them, not just in the color blob census tract level that was part of our previous work, is because if city staff and planning commissioners and the council don't actually know which neighborhoods are within these areas, it's really hard to be thoughtful about how the city can try to affect positive change. Um, so I, I guess the... Um, the, the hybrid um, that we selected is a mix of what exactly for, for the so the the bulk of the information associated with the evaluation is uh, really and part of the attachment uh, was also mentioned in previous staff reports but it was a hybrid system, so there were a number of things that we used as a reference. The Cal Virus Screen program, that was a program that's available on uh, the internet now. Anybody can go and look at that program, and it identifies what areas are more likely to be susceptible to particular types of risks. Uh, we mentioned asthma as being one of the most common themes. Uh, there's a reason for that. There's also that census-based analysis where they do look at population characteristics. You know, the, the Calavirus screen looks at, you know, health, looks at asthma, looks at the types of characteristics like traffic and things like that. But your census is really going to give you the demographics associated, going to give you your income rates associated with uh, census-based areas. Uh, but there were also 21 in indicators that were used to evaluate. Uh, they were based off of po uh, pollution um, and population characteristics. So pollution examples would be uh, what areas are more susceptible to receiving uh, air quality impacts associated with traffic and exhaust from vehicles, from diesel trucks. Others might be uh, what are the areas that are most likely to be impacted by agricultural activities, 
um, you know, allergies. People who have allergies can also be impacted and, and be affected uh, as a result of asthma. And so if you look at where those census tracts are, you'll find that one of the biggest ones is the, to the Northeast area, which are located adjacent to agricultural areas and areas that produce uh, uh, fruits and, and have open fallow fields. Those areas produce pollen, they introduce pesticide, and those are the types of things that can impact uh, the community's health. So what do those barriers look like between your existing residential areas, your planned residential areas? How can we create a defense barrier? Those are more things to come when we're talking about the planning and development process as development applications come through. We've got our mapped areas where we're going to be focusing on. Now when development ap applications come in, we're deploying strategies and methods to help create more of a defensive barrier between some of these communities and, and you know, your freeways. You know, an example of that might be if you have uh, residential that's close to a freeway. There ought to be a very substantial buffer, not just mounding for sound, but also dense vegetation. So that way, when you get exhaust, it's floating around on the freeway. It's got to pass through a very deep barrier of vegetation of large trees that can help reduce its impact on, as it's transitioning over to residential areas. So those are some of the examples of that can be deployed within it. But they're, you know, going back, they're hybrid uh, pieces of information used from the state. It was used based off of census information. You know, uh, low low income areas are one of those uh, rated uh, identities that show you know they're more likely to be impacted. Um, uh, another one was low birth weights, uh, babies that are born lower weights, uh, are an indicator of people that don't have maybe access to uh, healthcare or or that are struggling with getting access to healthcare. So th those are some of the indicators that uh, that report. If you go back and, and look what was done for that report, those are some of the indicators. Got it. Thank you for the reminder. I, I think the um, meaningful uh, takeaway for an area like North Village would be the freeway, right? Um, it, it's sort of intersect. It, it's right at um, 505 and 80. And, um, you know, I, I was jogging in that neighborhood just, uh, not, you know, two, two on Sunday night. And I, I noticed that 505, where the, there's newer construction, um, you can literally see the freeway from the park, um, the, the little neighborhood park that's right, you know, in, in the center of, of the, the, uh, the, the, the second phase of, of AP1. And you can see cars speeding right by. There's, you know, not a, there's not a fence or a tree or, um, any kind of a buffer for the people that are taking their kids to that park or to the people that live in those houses. So um, what would strategies be for um, where you, you have an existing built structure that's been entitled, approved, and built out, um, but it seems like we maybe could have done more to protect our citizens from that, um, that vector. We're getting into the weeds of it, and this is this is good. This is uh, the kind of conversation that um, leads to informative uh, planning practices. So, in in your particular case, like for instance, North Village, that was a project that's you know approved in 1995 that had specific details on how do you design things. And so, when we look at some of these newer things that we learn about our environments, our built environments, and how we can better plan for ourselves, this SB 1000 was it became effective in 2018. So. Obligations of planners are, yes, we're making sure that whatever 
approved plans have to be consistent with what was originally approved. How do you effectively encourage and influence the design of approved plans? Well, that gets done during the tentative map process when you're working with them, but there's also an obligation to make sure that they're complying with those those originally approved plans. Moving forward, next steps when we're looking at development review process, again, more to come on the next presentation, we talk about how do you amend the current processes that we have in place when we're reviewing new development applications that are coming to the city to incorporate things like this. At the last meeting in November, we talked about universal design and how we're amending our processes to start asking those questions to home builders. Are you proposing to maybe design a plan that is universally designed for everybody where there's a ramp, there's no steps that get into the house, everything's at a nice even level, things like that. Um, so th those are some of the tips and tricks that we're exploring that are part of uh, effectively implementing the city's community goal goals, uh, policies and actions um, throughout development activity. There are scenarios for your existing residents, there are scenarios for your new potential development areas. I see. Um, so it sounds like there's an array of, of things to, that would also bleed into indoor air quality in, in the next presentation. There's lots of work to be done, that's for sure. Um, I'm going to uh, call on uh, Controller Lightfoot. Thanks. Thanks for the discussion. Um, so we're using a Cal Enviro screen to assess what the impacts are, right? Um, do we have a method to... Um, track the return that we're getting on the methods that we're deploying. So is there, so a couple of things that come to my mind though, how often is Cal Enviroscreen updated? Is that what we're going to reference to show that we've improved the lives of um, our citizens by reducing the targeted, um, the targeted yeah, the target, sorry, whatever the, the what's the right term? The methods? As, as I understand the question, I think the concern is how do we know we're making a difference? Yes, and so and is it going to be, I'd like to see that we have a plan in place to review the um, our deployed methods to make sure that they are making a difference. And is that a part of this overall plan at all? Or how do we make something that does that? That's a great question, Commissioner Lightfoot. Um, when we were meeting with, um, we was uh, Assistant Planner Lincoln and some others and I were meeting with County Health about this issue. Uh, asthma is the biggest you know, threat um, to community health in Vacaville. We have the, some of the highest rates in the state, which we're gonna get into in the next presentation. What um, Robin um, from County Health explained to us is that one of the very easiest metrics to see whether you're having success or not is looking at emergency room visits, because that's the kind of data that exists. It's out there, it's tracked. And so as cities move forward or areas move forward with asthma reduction measures, that's a clear and bright um, metric. But we're still a little bit early days in figuring out how we're going to track our progress. Uh, part of bringing this forward at this meeting is gearing up for the next many years of implementing the new general plan policies. And we do the annual report every year. We'll come back to the commission and update you. Uh, so we're hoping after this night's meeting, we'll be able to come back with some progress. But some of it could be those emergency room metrics. Um, Robin had a lot of ideas for us to consider. So, so we are, so the plan in assessing our our goal or create even creating a goal because it seems like to me we don't even have a a goal to or a 
a metric to hit yet. We, we do not. Part of it's because um, these policies are like almost brand new here mm -hmm. in Vacaville, and we haven't gotten council direction that this is like the number one thing to focus on because we have a lot of other number one things to focus on. Mm -hmm. But we're hoping as a staff with whatever time and capacity we can find to continue those conversations with community health, with professionals. Now that we have maps of the different affected neighborhoods, being able to talk to other departments when like, for example, they want to do a tree planting initiative. Well, hey, there's some, there's three census tracks in Vacaville where that could possibly be a really good um, tactical thing to do there to help reduce asthma rates or um, swimming pools. I can't, I'm not saying the city's planning a new swimming pool right now, but swimming, we learned during, no, we learned during our um, work with county health, swimming reduces asthma rates in kids, adults, and everyone else. So still early days, Commissioner Lightfoot, but the goal is if you don't know where they are, then you can't really be thinking about it. We're trying to get that community conversation started. Sure, so then I think that's my main point. It's like, I hope that uh, we are able to set our, a goal for the work that we're doing, not only here, but plans that we're implementing. I, it seems to me that that's we're lacking that right now, and I I like to see how that gets in. I think that the uh, the positive silver lining about all of this is if we were to interpret our current goal of what we're trying to achieve is implementation. We know that there are uh, there is an expected change to be uh, measured at some point. Mechanisms from taking those measurements are more to come, but for now we know that uh, our main uh, goal is to start implementing, start making these apply, start asking development community, how can we make things better? Um, that's that's more of the measurement mechanism of, we're able to look at our annual progress report of our general plan and say, yes, we did this one, and we're moving on down that list of trying to implement them. Yeah, and I, I wanna make sure that I'm clear that I'm, it's not that I'm, we're not against it, I'm just saying, let's make sure that we try and measure our progress so that we are, we can show that what we did and was a benefit and um, hopefully worth something in the end. Commissioner Wilkerson. I just have one quick question. Um, Comment on um, 505 and then there's the park right there. Um, that's, that's an approved project right there, but around that is commercial. That has yet to be decided of what it's gonna look like or what it's gonna be. So whenever that time would come, between the college, um, the vacant building, and right in there on the previous plans that were shown, that was supposed to be potentially commercial um, area. So in, in that, in speaking to that, could there be a time then when that came forward to implement um, some of the things that Chair Klein was talking about? Yeah, yes, that would be the goal. Is early in the process, we have our list of little tricks to be asking development community about and trying to be able to say, okay, we're doing these three measures. We've thought of everything that we can apply because early in the de design phase, when they're making proposals for right. maps, that's really when to be able to make the change happen because you get into it really early where we can make those changes. But even around places that have already been planned out and developed and, <clears throat> and stuff, it's, there's, you kind of get what I'm saying, there's the development and there's, there's the place that's not done yet. Mm -hmm. So you could potentially make changes throughout that in, in a, some sort of scale, correct? And in, in impact in the book? Correct, yes. Okay, thank you. I would, I would thank you, Commissioner Wilkerson. Um, I, I would add to this, um, I'm looking at the potential community partners um, on uh, page 11 of the uh, report. And so to 
Commissioner Lightfoot's point about uh, you know results, how are we measuring um, our our efforts? I think the uh, working with community partners on things that they've done in the past, um, and maybe keeping us updated on um, how these things are going when we do get development proposals for those three census tracts. Um, I, I, that would be one suggestion I'd have. So, you know, the way this would play out practically is that if, if we're being asked to approve a development in one of those three tracks, then I think there should be some kind of an indicator about what, how community, how environmental justice is being advanced um, or how environmental justice is being evaluated against the gains of the project or, um, you know, how, what, what are the trade-offs? So um, if we don't understand, if, if, if we're just getting a, if we're being asked to approve a project and it has no mention about the fact that it's, this project is in an EJ tract, um, or we have no idea about what, um, you know, the discussions are with the developer about how EJ is being addressed there, um, then it, it kind of leads, you know, we're, this is window dressing, right? If, if we're just having a study session and we don't talk about it again until the next study session. I think the way to kick this into effect is to have um, EJ being on uh, that agenda in the same way that you see the, um, in the council agendas, for instance, it'll say, what in the strategic plan this is addressing? Um, and it lists, so it keeps the strategic plan front of mind. Um, I think that's something for these three communities, um, let's serve them and um, go beyond lip service. And so I think um, how we could work with community partners, um, that's my question for you. I mean, how, how are you currently working with like neighborhood association groups in, one of, in, in those tracks? That, that would be part of the next steps of finding out, right? The impact of communities, we know where our census tracts are. But what are our subdivisions look like? What do what what are the HOAs within those particular subdivisions that we could partner with? That we could say, hey, here's some new informational content that we're publishing that can help improve your life. If you ever have any questions about these, you can visit our website. Oh, uh, and then also conducting out that outreach too. Universal design was an item that we talked about last month, and since then we've published a website and we've reached out to the uh, real estate community at the direction from the planning commission to help inform them that we have a new brochure, we have a new website, and getting that word out there. So that's some of the ways that we would be partnering with the communities is sharing the information. That's number one. And then being available to answer the questions. There's methods to measure metrics. Um, we've got some slides and the next presentation that's going to be talking about what those metrics look like. Uh, but those are some of the ways that we would be partnering with the communities. First, it's identify where those areas are, identifies what those communities look like. I would just add that the city has had an active, been under an active effort to help neighborhoods organize into neighborhood associations. So one of the nice things about now knowing where our three impacted communities are is if that information can be shared with our city manager's office, who's always looking for ways to help people come together and form up as a official group. Um, so it's another opportunity. Wonderful idea. Um, thank you, Director Morris. And I would like to open public comment on this, um, but one last point um, is that, that I'm gonna, uh, 
You know, why don't we go ahead and move to public comment? I don't want to dig too much in the weeds first. So um, with that, let's, um, I invite the public to speak on this topic. Open public comment. Just a second. Um, so the first question I have is, how does this Accountability Act affect this area, these areas? So if the developer comes in and they're under the housing crisis where they can build whatever they want, but yet it's in one of these three listed areas, I mean, how does that come into play? So there's one of my questions. My second question is, um, back to North Village, referencing the plans approved in 1995, that was low to medium density housing, I believe. And right now, what we're doing is we're making this area high density housing in every which way possible. How does that help the environmental justice goal that we have for this area, for North Village in particular? I apologize, I'm not familiar with the other neighborhoods. Um, so that's my other question because I moved there 13 years ago, traffic was light, and now with the new phases that I understand are planned, we understand traffic was gonna, there was gonna be more, but um, Crescent right now is almost the equivalent to a, um, sorry, like a bypass road. You know, there's high, it's high traffic right now. If you start putting in these high density housing units, and you haven't punched all the way through to Midway yet, you haven't done the additional side streets to Leisure Town, you're basically, are, we're no longer worried about just the freeway, we're worried about the internal cycle of flow of traffic in our own neighborhood that's gonna cause some problems. Cause you can sit at, to turn into the main phase one, you could sit there five to 10 minutes at five o'clock, just trying to get into your neighborhood because you're surrounded by two lights and I don't know, you've got the light coming from 80 and the light from 505 or the college. So if somebody's getting off 80 and they're going to phase two, they're crossing. I mean, it's just, it's high density traffic right now. As you add additional, I just wanna know how that plays into this um, plan. And then um, that's the only two questions I have for, later or just something to think about. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Espinoza. Other members of the public wish to uh, address um, this topic in public comment. Hello, um, I just wanted to say thank you for addressing this issue and I'm, I'm glad to see it on the agenda. And so that's why I came to support the idea of making positive changes in our community. So just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, Ms. Dunn. Other members of the public wish to address this topic? Okay, close public comment and bring this back for um, further um, commission discussion and feedback to staff. Um, one thing that I, I will say uh, that I was going to say earlier is um, I, I don't see federal partners on, on this list. Um, I, I, I believe that the federal government can provide grants to um, EJ efforts. 
Um, I've, I've seen some really good projects that were funded um, in back east uh, using um, EJ dollars. And, you know, we should try to get the money if we can qualify. I think we have a great story to tell. Um, I, I also think that um, we should look at our existing um, code. So the way that we're, and, and the, uh, in particular here, I'm, I'm worried about, you know, big, big rigs and trucks interacting on um, perimeter roads. I think that that's um, one issue that was raised that would concern me is that if you don't have um, a, a clear truck route that, but you also have this unique freeway orientation where a truck can get off an eight, get off an 80 and cut right through, um, that that should be discouraged and it should actually be prohibited because we want to get this members of an impact community outside. We want them, we want bike lanes. We, we want to be able to um, encourage um, active transportation. And I think that when you're, when you've got big rig trucks um, on what's, you know, really supposed to be um, not, you know, the, the, these routes aren't built for trucks. Um, but they've become a shortcut for a lot of these trucks, especially with the um, the warehouse storage out there. So um, definitely, I, I can pass on some literature on the federal grants, but um, I'd love to see someone else pay for uh, these um, important uh, enhancements. So that's all for me. I don't know if there are other comments. Okay, thank you. Um, we'll now move to uh, item B, improving indoor air quality study session. Um, continuing on with Assistant Planner Lincoln. One good turn deserves another. <laughs> this study session, I'm gonna guide you through improving indoor air quality. We're requesting that you receive this presentation on amending the city's development review process to review, require, I'm sorry, information for improving indoor air quality. Also, publishing information on the city's website and considering amendments to the Vacaville Municipal Code prohibiting smoking within multi-family housing. Once again, uh, some of the background includes in 2016 SB 1000, which requires municipalities to add an environmental justice element or create related goals, policies, and objectives that identify impacted communities. And this year, the city council adopted community health goals, policies, and actions. Con the conservation and open space element action a 12.4 directs staff to provide information to tenants, property owners about reducing asthma and other health issues by improving indoor air quality. Vacaville consists of 21 census tracts. In 19 census tracts, asthma is worse than 75% of the state and in some areas worse than 85%. In Solano County, asthma is 2.2 times more prevalent than the rest of California. 
Vacaville received an F rating for the state of tobacco control report released by the American Lung Association. Here we have a graph that highlights asthma prevalence from 2017 to 2018, with the blue highlighting California and the orange highlighting Solano County. Next, we have a graph highlighting emergency room visits due to asthma from 2019. Once again, also California is represented by the blue and Solano County by the orange. In all cases, you see that Solano County is above California. Some causes of asthma include allergies, infancy illnesses, obesity, and genetics. So parents with asthma are three to six times more likely to have children with asthma. Some of the things to recommend to tenants and property owners include ventilation in their properties uh, so that dust accumulation doesn't build up. Also, being conscious of the chemicals you're using um, that include gas. Also, making sure that your, the humidity level is low. Um, making sure that you include indoor plants because indoor plants have been uh, documented to help improve indoor air quality. Also, increasing your physical activity, uh, like uh, community development director uh, Morris mentioned before, uh, swimming. Swimming is uh, something that's very helpful for people, people with asthma. And also uh, being able to refer to literary sources. Staff uh, created a web page, a brochure, and we've updated development review processes so that with housing plan designs, uh, the kind of things that we would like the development community to consider would be things like uh, electric appliances, as well as uh, hardwood floors, and just uh, making sure that the ventilation is uh, a part of the design uh, the design review. Also, uh, with tentative maps, uh, we want them to consider the roadway and land use buffers, uh, like Albert mentioned before, with the noise uh, buffers and also ventilation to help uh, mitigate the impact of our particulate matter. Um, and also a wind analysis, which with the design of some of these upcoming subdivisions, uh, a wind analysis would help to uh, so that the wind could, you know, be a, a guide to help push some of these uh, pollution uh, out of the, the subdivision. And in addition, decisions, decision makers could consider a multifamily non-smoking ordinance. Major contributor to asthma is smoke inhalation from tobacco. The U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development encourages the adoption of smoke-free environments in all multifamily housing. The American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers insist that filtration can only do so much. They recommend that eliminating indoor tobacco inside and near buildings would provide benefits, decreasing causes of fire and damage to housing units, 
also increasing renting and sales residential units, a sale of residential units, and improving the health for sensitive groups. In conclusion, general plan policy COS A12.4 directs us to inform residents and owners about improving indoor air quality. We recommend the website, brochure, new house design review process, and tentative map process information are intended to satisfy this general plan policy. This concludes the presentation and we are here for more questions. Thank you, Assistant Planner Lincoln, uh, crack report. Um, Vice Chair Rudin. Hi, going back to slide six, uh, that had information coming from emergency rooms. So this is from 2019. Do you happen to know how often this information is updated? Okay. Oh, <clears throat> right. Yeah, it takes time for them for the numbers to you know reflect accurate results. Okay. And so, this is the most current information that I've received. This is okay because I was going to say that this could be used as kind of a baseline, um, and then used for metrics later, depending on how often it's updated. So that's that's where I was going with that one. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Dean. Okay, um, I have a quick question for you, but first we're gonna start with Commissioner Lightfoot. Thanks for the presentation. Um, so we've, you know, you've outlined, we've outlined a couple target um, contributing factors for indoor air pollution, um, fuel burning stoves, um, tobacco products, uh, building materials furnishing, household products, excess moisture, outdoor sources. So those are what's listed on the website. The, um, like, do we, uh, do we know of those which are highest priority to take a look at? Are they rated differently or ranked differently than each other? Or just these are, we're going off resources for contributing factors. Are we targeting anyone in specific or should we look at one over the other? That sort of thing. I would say that they're all things that people can do and implement themselves. Um, the majority of those wouldn't be cost effective. Um, ventilation, you know, opening doors, maybe a ceiling fan. Um, like we also, like I mentioned before, uh, gas stoves, um, and not burning, not burning fires in the house, um, and just being aware of the kind of products that you're using when you're cleaning. Um, just things like that are things that we maybe don't think about, but uh, everything combined together, you know adds to the problem. And so I, I, I feel like anything that you do to help is, is a positive step uh, moving forward. So we don't have a, a ranking system of, of priorities within those, that, or do we have knowledge about which actually contribute more than the others? I take it's a no. No. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, cause I'm trying to go. I just want to add, I know we're here we are going, Commissioner Lightfoot. Um, when we met with the county health, there, there isn't a, this is the number one thing and the number two thing, but one of the biggest things that it's 
Robin Cox uh, that she emphasized was that there's a lot of power within one's home to reduce these asthma triggers. And so that's why we printed kind of the menu of things people can do, uh, but she didn't have a, a system, a ranking system. So in the, where I'm, in my main, in my main thought on, on the subject, I mean, we're talking about a city ordinance to um, basically ban tobacco use on you know, indoors at multifamily um, properties, right? And so I'm, if we're gonna think about a, you know, a, a ban on that or a, a code amendment to to not have that be available um you know we should have better understanding of how it impacts i would think so that's kind of my thoughts on that if if the council decided to move forward with a indoor smoking ban for multifamily, um i actually did that work for the city of santa rosa some years ago there is a ton of scientific evidence supporting that that would be brought forward as part of that effort. Uh, but our mission from the council was to focus on helping people understand kind of what they can do to improve air, indoor air quality. And we wanted to highlight the um, non-smoking recommendations from the county and from American Lung because they are definitely germane to improving indoor air quality. Sure. That's sort of a separate thing compared to just like the normal sort of housekeeping or home improvement things people can do. Got it. No, thank you very much. Um, so I think uh, based off our last presentation, I would take it that our partnerships are evolving. Um, so one thing that comes to mind is if when we have these emergency room visits, are we, do we know whether doctors are saying visit the Vacaville website, it's excellent, it's got resources. Um, if they're not, they ought to, they, you know, that's a good, that's sort of, a, in my mind, um, if you have one of these emergency room visits, um, it would be great if the doctors are are just you know trained as a matter of course to say let's let's get you these resources to reduce incidence of of asthma um, that brings you to the emergency room. And so if if their first thought is our website because it's so good, um, that would be or or because it's something. I mean, right now they like you know um, if they have no idea um, what to do. Um, it would be terrific if, the, if we can get our partners to be pushing our website. And I think the other thing is um, there's, in my, in my mind, there's, a, there's like a, a, an obstacle with all, all things or anything that costs is, is, is an obstacle. So um, one way that you bring down asthma um, is to run your air conditioner a lot. Um, it, it helps reduce incidence of asthma. Um, but it gets so hot here, you know, and maybe if you're in a low-income household, that's not realistic. But one resource to have on the website would be that PG&E has a rebate program for um, people that have children with asthma. So that should be on the city's website that um, if, if, you, if your kids have asthma, um, your pediatrician gives you the certification and um, that will, it results in a rate reduction. So um, if, if we're able to help our, our, our people save money and be able to um, get these resources in their hands, I think your website is, is a great start. Um, I was also wondering about uh, the vaping. So is vaping uh, the same as indoor smoking? Do, do we know anything about the impacts of vaping, uh, Director Morris? Been a year of my life working on this subject for the city of, yes. Um, 
health professionals and um, scientists and doctors uh, find that vaping is as harmful um, to bystanders as well as vapors as um, just burning of tobacco. Uh, it's a very debated topic because there are people that will come forward and tell you that vaping saved their life. So it's not an easy um, it's not an easy public conversation. I kid you not. It, it cures, save it my cures life. diseases, according to some. It's, oh. In any case, um, but yes, there is a very, very substantial body of scientific evidence that supports that if you're banning indoor smoking as a city for multifamily, you're probably also looking at vaping as well. Yeah, just, you know, to keep up with the times, I think vaping is something that there's just a, very little known about. And if we know more about the impacts, then that would contribute to the um, body information that the public can um, be informed about on your website. Um, I would include that. Um, and I, I know we'll be hearing a lot more as we consider the um, ban, but um, th that would be definitely a place to start. The last question before I pass to Commissioner Banta is, um, what do we know in terms of the dust and pollen from ag? Um, what do we know about, and this is actually directly directed at um, Director Morris, um, what's Napa doing, for instance, with this topic? You know, I, I don't actually know what Napa County's asthma rates are. I mean, ours stand out across the state. I don't know about Napa's. So that's something that I could look into. But I wasn't aware, when I was working in that county, I wasn't aware of um, asthma as being a significant health concern there. It may very well be, but it wasn't something that was on the public conversation. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, how, how are, are, is our unique orientation in, as a city um, driving these abysmal asthma rates and uh, we do have the freeway um, or freeways, but uh, at surrounding ag is, is the other thing. So I, I would imagine other communities that have surrounding ag would also be needing to develop ag aggressive mitigation tactics. Um, Commissioner Banta. Thank you. Um, my question was kind of off Commissioner Rudine's um, comment earlier about like the preservation of some homes in these census tracts. And are there any poly like um, programs or anything with our housing element that or other programs that can like ensure that there's central and heating and air in homes or help subsidize people to get central air and heating, especially if they are low income or if they are renters and they're not the homeowner? What how do they get that right? Um, are there programs that can help get that into their home, especially some of those older homes in census track? one of the first ones, 3101, um, because the houses are getting older. How do we preserve those to keep their value up as well? And, and with asthma. I can answer that question. The, um, the housing, city's housing programs have a variety of, of, of loans that were either as part of the housing element adoption are required to set up. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is finding that funding source that's going to allow the city to do these loans to help improve the quality of our older housing stock. Um, also on the website that um, my staff put together, we have identified a couple different funding sources that can be made available. And one of the latest ones that came on my radar was the Bay Ren program that's administered through the county, not the county, but an element of the county. Um, they offer some fairly good, um, helpful uh, funds to help people do these kinds of improvements. But it is something that we have, we're mandated to implement some programs that could definitely be helpful for indoor air quality and other things. But over the next eight years, this housing element, some of what my fellow director, Emily Cantu, is doing is looking for those funds that we'll, we'll be able to use to go do those improvements. 
Okay, um, we'll go ahead and open public comment. All right, we'll close public comment and bring this back um, for additional discussion. Commissioner Wilkerson. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I'd like to add the school districts to the list of community partners, if it wasn't already. In 1996, uh, Youth Taken on Tobacco and Other Drugs was founded through the school district. Um, I was one of the founding members and it ran for 21 years and we talked about the effects of smoking and tobacco. And so it, it'd be nice to see collaboration between the school district and the city um, because we were using school district kids to go out and do presentations to other kids, but I don't think the group is around anymore, but they have link crew, they have student leadership, they have other places and things they can use to give the information to kids because what we found, kids are the biggest impactor to their parents to say stop smoking, stop impacting. And so we were able to track the data to see, to see a change from 96 to 2013 or whenever it ended. So that would be one, one area I would like to see the school districts involved um, because teens, and, and the youth are the most important in getting this message out um, and, and delivering that message. So I would, I would definitely like to see us do that. Thank you. I think that's a terrific idea. Um, I had written that down as, as a possibility as well. I think that, that knowing that for these community <clears throat> partnerships, um, if the schools also know um, things about uh, asthma, like, or, or let me back up. The schools, I would hope, do ought to know which students have asthma. And we should be mindful of, of dust and mildew and mold and, and all of those things to the extent they exist in the schools. Um, and I, I'm wondering, is there a way to, um, you know, jumping on, on at, uh, Commissioner Banta's comment about the cost of retrofitting, it, they, so they, did, did Vacaville schools retrofit uh, with COVID dollars, the ventilation? We just don't know. We, we wouldn't know that. Vice Chair Um Going kind of, you know, piggybacking off of that, um, out of curiosity, not to get too far into the weeds of this, it can be very expensive to put, to install, you know, to replace an air conditioner well off, install a new air conditioner. Um, when looking for funds, what about for air purifiers as well? Because I know when we had the LNU fire, I mean, I have an air conditioner, but I found out my house leaks a lot too because the smoke smell was coming in. So I bought an air purifier and it made a world of difference. And I still use that now, mostly for pollen because um, the trees in my neighborhood are trying to kill us. But um, but I was just curious, you know, that's it's, it's kind of an immediate, it's a less expensive and kind of more practical uh, approach and so I was curious if that was also on the radar. It, it's a great idea. I mean, it's also less expensive than many of the other things as you pointed out. So thank you for adding that to our list. Yeah, um, we use air purifiers for the same purpose. I, um, trees are really hard on our allergies. Um, so any other public or any, any other comments to offer? Commissioner Banta? Yeah, the last comment that I wanted to add was you guys mentioned in there that the Parks and Rec has the scholarship program for youth to participate in. And I just think that's a really great idea. And I just wanted to kind of give a shout out to them for that because that you guys are bringing attention to that because not a lot of people know that our city has that and offers that. And it's really beneficial to especially the low income 
population. So thank you for that. So what what incentives are we providing to the develop to, to, to the development community to assist um, in the in building designs? I wrote down um, as you were talking, you know, for instance, wood floors. Um, if, if that's something that we know helps to improve asthma uh, rates, are, are, are there benefits that we can offer or, I don't know, points in the process, you know, to maybe incentivize developers to deliver products that have these project design features that reduce asthma? Um, the most effective method would be you know, amending our municipal code and saying, here's a standard objective, you have to comply with it. But it first starts with a conversation. And that was one of the uh, items that Assistant Planner Lincoln had mentioned about um, how we've amended our development review process. The city is obligated to provide the development community with a set list of questions and items that they need to show when they submit proposals to the city. We use that, uh, that set list to confirm compliance that they provided all the information that we need. We've added to that list of information that we're requesting from developers, how do you intend to deploy within your new homes some of these methods? Are you going to provide an option, for instance, an air quality, improving in indoor air quality option for your house plans that says, for these particular models, we're only gonna offer electric appliances. Um, no you know, artificial gas fireplace will be uh, there. We're gonna be looking at wood floors instead. Maybe there's a whole house fan that's being used in that particular home, or maybe there's all ceiling fans. It starts, so it starts with a conversation where we're asking that development community, what things are you considering? We know that we have a serious issue with asthma within the city. We've got specific impact to communities that are affected by that. So what methods development community are you going to be deploying as we're reviewing these new homes, as we're reviewing these new tentative maps for new development areas. Um, but it starts off with a conversation. I, I favor your suggestion about amending and providing objective design standards. Um, it's clear and it's proactive. Um, I, I, I think if you have them, then pitch them to us so that we can consider them. Um, I, I think the, uh, the last question that I have for you is when you have development happening around existing construction and you know that there are going to be air quality impacts indoor from construction, what are some of the things that we can mandate or nudge toward to reduce impacts on indoor air quality? So when we're talking about construction, most notable is when you're seeing mass grading occurring out at a large development area and it kicks up a lot of dust and stuff. So we already have in place mechanisms to require um, taking care of those sites. That involves uh, ongoing watering of only any open and loose dirt that usually might be two, three times a day, depending on where you're located in a high wind area. Other areas involved, you know, if you've got a large uh, mound of soil, hydro seed it, get some vegetation growing on it so you're not dealing with wind erosion. Uh, and it also involves with, you know, having clear contact information from the development community that's visible on the site so that if somebody sees something going on, they can go and contact that. Sometimes we experience what are called violators of those particular existing situations. And so I can, uh, 
at least inform the commission that we do have a lot of uh, mitigation for new projects, existing policies that are in place to help make sure that uh, development communities are taking care of these sites. But usually if you're seeing something going on that's not quite right, it's because somebody's doing something they're not supposed to be doing. I couldn't imagine that ever happening. Um, one of the features of the original environmental justice movement was that you had people who were low income, they spoke a different language, um, they weren't a part of the, devel the development process, and those communities were targeted for um, high pollution type projects because they had, you know, no way of knowing about it. They, did, they weren't going to object to it, and so they weren't there, so they were on the menu. And so what I think I love about the website is that it provides a way for people to get the information. But one thing that I've seen that um, may be helpful is just, is, is there a phone number I can call to report a violation? Or is there somewhere on your website I can go to, to, to lodge a complaint that's just really simple? It's in several different languages, but it, it, it makes the developer concerned that the public could go to this website or the, or the public could call this, you know, NARC line and, uh, excuse me, this uh, 800 number and, and complain um, about uh, violations or perceived violations. Um, so if they're constructing on a dusty day or if, if so, if, if, they, if there's a high wind event and they're doing construction and the dust is in your backyard, if I just call a phone number and it's easy and, and I know what it is and I can just drop an anonymous line, um, I think that I've seen that happen. I, I have clients that have, um, you know, had to implement these mitigate the, these project um, features as part of construction. Um, the air quality management district will work with you on that, but. I'm not looking at, because the AQMD is only involved with a certain subset of projects, but I, I think we need, to, given our, our asthma rates, we need a way to, to, to empower the public to, to, to make a complaint and um, put it on there, um, put, put, put the onus on the developer to remedy. We can certainly add uh, an additional section onto this website that we're proposing that directs people if you're experiencing um, wind erosion and dust, particulate matter in there as a result of construction activities, contact this individual. And it's usually uh, one or the other. It's either going to be the public works department if it's involving public improvements or it's a, a large portion of land. Uh, if it's a smaller project that involved a building permit, then it would be uh, the building division here in community development. Um, but certainly we can add that information that connects them to who do you call when you're noticing a violation occurring? Yeah, and the... I know the city doesn't really have the resources to do a lot of enforcement actions. So that that's, I'm, I, I don't, is there a realistic way to do this? I, I don't know. <laughs> is, is there a realistic way to? To enforce complaints. We currently have a mechanism in place to enforce complaints that people are experiencing. We already have it in place now. And what you'll find out over at construction activities, maybe over at Green Tree right now, as you're seeing fencing going up and um, movement going on out there, is that you'll see signs that occur at the site that direct you in particular situations. Are you seeing erosion of dirt coming off of the site that it would affect water quality? Are you seeing dust particulate matter up in the air that's affecting air quality? We're going to call, and there's usually a phone number on there. But what we can do for this particular website is if somebody knows this website, and they uh, are familiar with it, 
they can they know where to go for that additional piece of information on how to report a complaint. Thank you, Albert. Okay, if we, with, with, if there's no objection, we'll move on to items uh, C, private arts and murals program study session. I was really eager to get to this one. Um, and I see we've got uh, Melissa Fryer uh, joining us tonight. Welcome to the commission. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Hi. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and planning commission members. My name is um, my name is um, no, I'm joking. My name is Melissa Fryer, and I'm a college intern with the planning department, and I'm here to present you guys our study session on private arts and murals. Tonight, staff is asking that the Planning Commission receive a presentation on amending the city's development review process uh, to create a process for installing murals on private property and publish corresponding information on the city's website. So why murals? Murals have several benefits. They encourage artistic expression, improve neighborhood appearance, um, can serve as a community landmark or a place of identity and deters graffiti and vandalism. Due to these benefits, murals have been identified in the downtown specific plan as one of many ways to inspire, activate, and energize downtown Vacaville. For further context, in 2015, City Council adopted the general plan update, which included implementation action LUA 16.6, which prepared, which required the preparation of a downtown specific plan to provide development standards that will promote the development of the city's central commercial core. In 2022, City Council adopted the downtown specific plan, which included policy 7E, intended to promote public art and at prominent locations that contribute to downtown's brand. Here's a map of existing murals in Vacaville, um, showing is 10, which is quite a lot. Uh, half of them are located outside of downtown, showing why a streamlined review process may be appropriate. And then here's some pictures of the existing mur murals, just to highlight a few. Um, the one in the top left corner is located over at Ace Hardware across the street. Um, it's dedicated to the residents um, that lived in Monticello, which was the town that was flooded to create Lake Berryessa. So I thought that one's pretty cool. Um, of course, the town favorite Heritage House Cafe. And then on the bottom, not the bottom right corner, but next to it, the one that says Nut Tree, that one's out at Security Public Storage on Orange and Leisure Town. And they actually, I think it was about five or six other ones all dedicated to the history of Vacaville. Um, 
We looked at some other cities for their review processes and examples of design standards. Some common themes were murals were to be graffiti resistant. Um, mural design was to be relevant to city, that size limitations do not obstruct right of way and um, the development of a maintenance plan for protection and removal. This is a table um, summarizing some of the city's review process, um, showing their fees, the decision maker, and any special notes that their design review like required. In addition to design reviews, um, cities referenced artist protection acts. We have the Visual Artist Rights Act of 1990, which is federal legislation. Um, it recognizes the moral rights of at moral rights of attribution and integrity. On the left is the California Art Preservation Act, or CAPA, which is state legislation which protects against alteration, mutilation, and destruction of non-commissioned original artwork. For our review, pro review process, we are suggesting that information on installing new arts or murals on private property will be available via, via the city webpage and brochure packets, which can be found on the city webpage or at the planning counter. And to amend the development review process for a minor design review subjected, subjected to staff review and the acknowledgement and waiver of artist protection rights. Should an ordinance be needed in the future, um, we have provided examples of mural ordinances from the city of Los Angeles and the city of Mount Shasta. Some important content for the ordinance to cover is definitions and clarifications between mural, sign, commercial message, and public space, public right of way. Um, establishing who's going to be responsible for maintaining the mural, and of course, artist protections. To conclude, murals encourage artistic exp expression, revitalize neighborhoods, and promote positive placemaking. The DTS, the downtown specific plan, envisions art in the downtown area on public and private properties to revitalize downtown Vacaville. Murals have been installed outside of downtown and provide aesthetic benefits for the city. The recommended bro website brochure and development review process is intended to satisfy the downtown specific plan implementation action policy 7E. Thank you for listening to our presentation today. Any questions? Well, thank you very much for that informative report. And I understand that you're a student at, at Davis. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, well, great job. Um, I've, uh, we love Davis interns, and um, we understand you're doing terrific work for us. So we very much appreciate um, the time you took tonight to give the presentation. Um, are there? Uh, Commissioner, comments or questions for uh, Ms. Fryer? 
Commissioner Wilkerson. Great job doing your presentation. Um, I like it. I, I, downtown really started to do some stuff. I think it's on, attached to the main grate. And so that one looks fantastic. I would just encourage, you know, we always focus on, you know, the downtown specific plan, but there's other areas throughout the community that could use it as well. So I just wanted to make public comment on that because we, we do have a lot of areas. Everybody could use a mural, right? Like there, there's a lot of spaces. So, um, but thank you for the presentation. I would also commend you on the slide that you did, slide eight. Um, I, I like being able to see just a summary of what other cities are doing. Um, I would love to see more of, of that type of presentation. It helps us to contextualize our, our action and the requests being made. So very nice job with that. Um, I, um, oh, Commissioner Lightfoot. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, so I, I totally agree with the, basically, the seeing what other people are doing, how it's working. That's, that's great information. Um, I just, just a comment. I mean, uh, thank you very much. Um, I was surprised when I reviewed this part of the packet, um, just because we all agree that, uh, murals are, we have some, we have some really great murals in Vacaville. And I think that we all agree they add a, a positive impact to the community. I was surprised that it was such a hurdle to go through getting a mural even in private property. And so I agree, yes, we should make it less impactful. I mean, some of the fees that we had shown were, in my opinion, pretty crazy for a community benefit. So um, reducing to 250, which I still think, I don't know. I mean, I understand it's work for us to do, um, but I don't see why we wouldn't want that. It's a public benefit. I don't know why we should have a hurdle for a private property owner to beautify our city. Um, we should actually incentivize or find ways to, and we've been talking about um, government funds or grants or anything like, or providing those as an opportunity for private business owners to access or let them be known that, hey, you could do this, We or even pinpoint some areas that we think could use them. So um, those are kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, while you were talking, I started thinking about all the ways that this could go wrong for you know, one of the reasons. I mean, it, it, there there are examples, right, of, of uh, maybe one man's art is another person's, you know, um, eyesore. So, so I, I, whatever we, our standards are now in our current process, I think they've done a great job of making the art and murals that we have here in Vacaville I think they're all great. So not saying lessen our standards, but maybe lessen the, the hurdles to go about them, maybe. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I, what is the, why is there a cost? A couple of points of context that might be helpful for the commission. Uh, I think the, the point about tonight's uh, agenda item is that, yeah, we noticed that there's a bunch of murals around the city. There is no process. Uh, these, these appear. Uh, independent property owners are interested in in making these murals. And so one of the uh, greatest examples right now is when the main grape decided to come in and, and uh, propose uh, this mural process on the side of their building. What do they do? And we had to figure out right then and there, how do we accommodate this type of process? Um, looking at the downtown specific plan, it's intended to encourage it. So rather than just limit a process specific to the downtown specific plan, let's do it citywide. 
Uh, we do recognize that the fees are a little high. They have to be associated with a specific fee on our schedule. Um, we can't change our fees. They're set every single year in June by the city council. So when city council adopts a fee, that's what it is. It's associated with a review. In our staff report, we note that at that time when we're coming around for our review schedule, really focusing in on an, um, on what the fee, if any, ought to be. The processes aren't really intended to create hurdles for people who are looking at bringing designs. Really, the process and standards are created to help encourage ones that are not proposing something that is going to be helpful to the community and those designs. How do we help them come back around into something that would be beneficial for the community with that design? So that's really what it's intended to do, not, not to create a hurdle for uh, anybody who, who does have a really particular design. We will, we will note that this project in itself is intended to just focus on uh, uh, providing a process for individuals on their own private property. How do they help it? Because that's really how community development interacts. We regulate activities on private property only. Uh, separate from that, the Parks and Recreation uh, Department is handling a uh, process for creating and allowing you know, public, uh, murals on public property. So that's why this particular report doesn't respond to that. Um, it's mainly because our job in community development is regulating development on private property only. Um, it, it sounds like we, this is a, a, an idea whose time has come um, because we don't have a process. Um, how does this fit into the wider context of public art? If you could clarify um, the intent. Well, public art um, and public, um, the, the way that, you know, for instance, that, that we have um, the city has a, um, clearly there's a Vacaville brand um, that, that the city is pursuing. Um, but then sometimes you'll see strange things like um, what I guess, what might've been intended to be public art <clears throat> Like for instance, just like weird flowers that are fake. Um, you know, I, I don't know what what the what the material that these flowers are made out of, but um, it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like it, sure. it's next to a Vacaville sign, and then there are these like fake flowers that are just pointing in different directions. Sure, um, there's there's a number of installations that have been done over the years. There's the metal. Um, uh, trees that are over off of Alamo Drive in the center median. There's the particular flowers that are located in the median over off of Leisure Town Road by as you're approaching the uh, interchange. That broader discussion about what does the community want for um, public arts and displays is, again, it's it's intended to be handled through the Parks and Recreation Department. They're taking up that, up that initiative, and I see that our director uh, was unmuted, possibly some more to add. Oh, that's I just, you're going where I'm going, um, Senior Planner Enalt. Uh, our Parks and Rec Department issued an RFP and is hiring a consultant to assist the city in developing a public art master plan. So, how does private private property art fit in? I mean, we the idea is to have a plan for all kinds of art, um, but private art, public art on private property, is just one piece of an overall arts puzzle. So we really, I, I directed my team, although we had a sprawling um, process of looking at all kinds of things to really focus on the private side, because when, for example, the main grape wanted to do a mural, they had a traveling artist, everything's ready to go. We didn't have a way to say yes. 
And we could have said, well, no, we don't do whatever. But then when you think about all the buildings downtown and some of the things that might want to happen on them, we decided it was probably good to implement the downtown specific plan and come up with a process to, to tackle this subset of this overall public art discussion. Okay. Um, one of the things that we try to think about as a commission is consistency. And so that's the concern there is that we have a consistent aesthetic and an architectural vocabulary that supports that. And uh, I'd like to, you know, just make sure that, that we're looking at that bigger picture of, you know, we're talking about, you know, art and the perception and aesthetic of the city. This is an important topic, and I'm glad that you guys are working on it. Thank you. Um, nice job. Our next item is item D, community gardens. Uh, we've got uh, on deck um, Leslie Lopez, uh, future assistant planner, no doubt, current intern. Welcome to Planning Commission. Is this your first presentation? Wonderful. Good evening, Chair, Vice Chair, and members of the Planning Commission. My name is Leslie Lopez. I'm a community development intern, and tonight I will be presenting on community gardens. The staff is requesting the commission to receive this presentation on amending the city's development review process to identify potential locations for community gardens, to create a streamlined process for establishing community gardens on private property, and publish information on the city's website. Some background information. In 2014, the Rocky Hill Community Garden was approved and became the first community garden to exist in the city of Ackerville. In 2015, the city council adopted a general plan update, which included a section on healthy communities, which included goals, policies, and actions that were distributed among three elements, land use, conservation and open space, and parks and, regulate, parks and recreation elements. In 2017, the Planning Commission had a community garden study session in response to the general plan, which they expressed support but urged um, staff to um, find um, a method to implement community gardens to be um, less excessive and less costly. In 2022, the City Council adopted a code update which included an urban agriculture ordinance which implemented requirements listed in the general plan and listed regulations for community gardens and market gardens. Community planning can directly enhance the wellness of a community, which is why the general plan includes a section on healthy communities. That lists goals, policies, and actions that um, land planning use could use. Land use planning has recently become a recognized tool for increasing individuals' physical activity rates and access to healthy foods. The land use, conservation, and open space, and parks and recreation elements contain policies and actions that promote healthy communities. Implementation actions LU-A9.3 and LU-A9.4 require staff to identify potential locations for community gardens and develop a streamlined process for establishing community gardens on private property. Community gardens are important in our community, and our study session tonight will primarily focus on private property sites. 
The reason being is that through SAS research, we find that public sites cost approximately $300,000 to create and maintain. Community gardens are important because food deserts are a growing concern in many cities and counties due to the inconvenient traveling distance of over a mile away to access fresh and healthy food. The USDA states that 33.2 of individuals who are low income live more than a mile away from food stores. Benefits to community gardens include access to fresh food and the promotion of nutrition and physical activity. Some existing regulations that have been implemented to the city include a municipal code update in February 22, which included a code section on urban agriculture. Urban agriculture is a term that includes community gardens and market gardens in our code. The code section allows for urban agriculture to be in all residential and most commercial zoning districts. It prohibits plants like cannabis to be grown in these areas and includes standards for operation, equipment, maintenance, composting, and utilities. These are all consistent with the general plan implementation action. <clears throat> the city can help encourage community gardens. One method is by identifying potential gardens, such as the five sites on private property and the 12 sites on public property, which will not be considered at this time due to the costs. Both are identified by staff and included in the staff report. Secondly, we can create readily av available information such as a brochure and website for the public to view. And lastly, by creating a streamlined process for allowing new community gardens. Um, on your slide um, and Above, you can see that there's a location map um, that identifies potential sites for community gardens within the city's limits. On the slides in front of you, and in, you can see the depiction of the Rocky Hill Community Garden, which is existing and approved in 2014. Um, in front of you as well, you can see the potential site um, for the community garden on private property. This is located on the Dream Street HOA on Farmington Drive and Dream Street. This is another um, potential community site garden on private property. This is located in the Cooper Station subdivision on Atchison Drive. In addition to these recommendations, the city is also publishing uh, informational resources such as a webpage and a brochure as well as updating the development review process to include an application and a submittal checklist. These exhibits are also included in your staff report. In conclusion, community gardens are extremely beneficial to our community. They increase access to fresh food and promote nutrition and physical activity. Through the general plan implementation actions, we identified potential locations for both private and public property and we're able to create a process for allowing new community gardens. To fulfill the requirement, staff has created a website, a brochure, and a development review process to satisfy the implementation actions in the general plan. That concludes my presentation and I am available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Lopez. Great job. Um, I will uh, bring it to the commission for other questions. Presentation. Thank you. Okay, so I was excited about this one because I love gardening, and um, 
Okay, so it is cost prohibitive to have a garden on public property, but I'm curious, is this something, instead of having a community garden on public property, what about teaching people how to have gardens in their own backyard? Is this a class that could also be a revenue stream then later for the city to have something that's offered through our parks and rec department of just like basics of gardening? Because it's, you'd be surprised, a lot of people don't actually know how to, you know, plant a garden. And it also can be something that's beneficial for kids and even have a kids program of teaching them where food comes from. Um, I, that, you know, I do that in my own backyard with my kids it's you know just that's I would that's how I was brought up and then um so since we can't have that at least teaching people to have their own community gardens in their yards um so that was one idea uh also uh, is the city, does the city plan on working with the UC extension for the county? I don't know how, I know, I, I follow a lot of them because I also do canning as well. So I, I follow a lot of uh, different UC extensions and I know in other counties are a little bit more active. I'm not total, I'm not, I don't have firsthand experience with the UC extension for Solano County, but they could also be a wealth of information as well. That could be added to our webpage and brochure and information for people. Um, and lastly, uh, with the list of plants that we have approved for uh, developers to plant, you know, for landscaping, can we encourage more pollinator-friendly plants? Uh, because, it, you know, it's great to have a garden, but if you don't have a pollinator there, it's kind of useless. And not to go completely left field, but the native bee populations are being impacted by pesticides and other things as well. Um, and uh, my my mom and my stepdad are beekeepers, so I can run on with this one, but I won't. Um, but I mean, if you know, if we can have pollinator-friendly plants that are planted throughout the city, it would help with, you know, the bee population and other. I mean, it's not just bees, you know, butterflies and everything else. Um, and that's all I have. Can we get a community beekeeping project? <laughs> no, please. Sorry, no, no, it. which is a whole other, and I don't want to open a can of worms here, but from my understanding, it's actually, we're not allowed to keep bees here in Vacaville. I think there's an ordinance against that, uh, but I'm not gonna open up, you know, like the, that can of worms. However, if they're in their own natural habitat, not beekeeping, just feeding them. Why are we discriminating against the bees? Can we look into that? Uh, the history associated with that is um, people who are allergic to bees and stings and things like that. So they are allowed. Uh, you're going to find them on over on agricultural properties where you're going to see those boxes of apiaries uh, for that stuff. So um, I think that we've only had one beekeeping uh, permit that's been issued, and that was all for off of Marshall Road, uh, just as you're approaching the hillside area, and it was within that hillside agricultural area. Um, or Queen Bee down here. Did you have anything to add? Okay. Thank you, Vice Sheridan. Uh, Commissioner Banta. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. Good job. I really liked um, the ideas of on the private property and how we could tie that in with the neighborhood associations. I know the one on Rocky Hill area, that whole neighborhood is really all about their community garden and they um, it's something that ties them together and they're able to discuss like even more things like how to come to city council meetings and how to talk about that they want sidewalks and all the things right but it's all over the community garden that they're doing it so I think it's really cool to you identified other neighborhoods that are private property that like HOAs or neighborhood associations could do that as well so I like that thank you 
I agree. Yeah, I, I, with the um, the, the um, suggestion that Vice Rudin made about the UC Ag and Natural Resource Program, I think that's the UC extensions um, that you're referring to, UC A and R. Um, that, that they do have a robust website and they're, I don't know if they are in Solano County, but that, that is a question um, to what degree we can partner with, with A&R on this. Um, I've I visited once there, um, uh, they have a, a, a really huge program sort of in, where you're um, in your stopping grounds in Monterey um, with the, um, where the community is growing with the farmers also on on a and land and a and provides the the uh, expertise and um and the community provides the um the, the community realizes the benefit as well um with, and there's a robust farming community there but i think we do have quite a bit of land um that we're surrounded by farming we, we could probably look if, if i i don't know how to set up an a &R partnership but i think that's worth pursuing Okay, um, we'll go ahead and open it up for public comment. Hello again. Um, so I understand that we're not supposed to be speak about the battery storage facility. Um, however, I do, I'm very interested why that property wasn't on the list of 12, even though we're not pursuing because of, it's not cost effective for public property to be community gardens. But the current property that's proposed for the battery storage facility would have been a great place to at least have listed on there as we are a food desert out there. Um, also, I think that area because, you know, I walk my dogs pretty often. It reminds me, it has potential to be something similar to like Pena Adobe with a community garden um, on it. So that was one of my concerns. I also just want to notify staff that I'll be inquiring as to why it's $300,000 to do a community garden on public property. Because I think that's removing a lot of potential from our community. Um, because I'm not in an HOA, so I, there's no way, way I have access to private property to be a part of this. So, um, But I do love the idea. I love the concept. I like that we're going out and, you know, maybe I'll move to one of these communities to be part of their guard. I'm kidding. I just love giving you guys a hard time for North Village until it's done built. But no, um, thank you for doing stuff like this for the community and th great presentation. Thank you, Ms. Espinoza. Hi, yeah, um, I, I really love the idea of the community gardens and I really liked your idea, uh, Ms. Rudine, about uh, educating the public on how to grow their own gardens because you're so right. Some people don't know how to grow their own vegetables, but once they figure it out, it's like, it's really neat to have your own vegetables and your own property. And um, that would be cool to have something like that as a city resource. So I kind of like that idea as well. Um, yeah, I just wanted to show support for that idea of the community gardens. Um, I do wonder as well as on, about uh, the cost as well as what Ms. Tonia said, that 300,000 seems steep to have a community garden, especially if the community is maintaining it for you. So, um, but if there was a way to do that on public property, we could see more of those projects in our city. So thank you. 
you, Ms. Dunn. Appreciate your comments. Um, can you respond to those questions? Oh, and then we'll no, bring it back. Respond. Okay. So um, one of the reasons why the mentioned location of the Minyard um, site is not used for a private community garden and is not included in one of the 12 sites is because it's not a the proximity of that site is not close to a neighborhood. And the sites that are were identified were extremely um, close to a neighborhood or on a neighborhood's property. I, I wanted to clarify that a little bit. Um, it's this, all the sites that staff focused on are like these small sites that are literally adjacent to homes um, in these sort of tract home subdivisions versus the more rural sites. Um, but then the other piece with the publicly owned land is that staff's sort of focusing on initially was focusing on park sites, but then we sort of had this epiphany that it's really our parks and rec department under the leadership of the parks and rec commission and the city council that works with neighbors around city parks to figure out what those neighbors want and then brings those things online as there's funding ability to do that. So it felt like for my department to be saying, oh, we should put community gardens here, here and everywhere else. It really discounts the public process that our recreation parks department has around figuring out what amenities different neighborhoods want, which every amenity costs money as we all know and then delivering those amenities. So that's why we really kind of shifted our focus back to these smaller sites within existing tracks. Got it, got it, thank you. Um, were you, did you have anything to add about the cost? <clears throat> so during my research um, for, um, when I was researching community gardens um, around different jurisdictions, one of the um, jurisdictions that I did speak to was the um, community gardens manager for the city of Sacramento. And that's the price that he um, told me um, what was the approximate cost to create and maintain um, a public community garden yearly. Do we have any idea what the drivers of that cost are? I mean, that's $300,000 is like you could buy a home. One of them was the water infrastructure. Um, I believe also the maintenance and um, just building it, so fencing um, to um, build a shed and the materials um, used. So all the gardening materials were provided by the city of Sacramento and all the plots were also provided. <laughs> Sacramento, um, it's interesting there. Uh, people are paying 300 grand in Sacramento? That was his cost for how much it would be for um, when they want to add a new community garden to a neighborhood. So all the community gardens in Sacramento are mostly public and they are uh, managed by the Parks and Recreation Department. Thank you. Um, we'll go ahead and close public comment and uh, take it, um, bring this back to the commission um, for deliberation and questions. Commissioner Wilkerson. Just to Commissioner Lightfoot has um, brought, up, brought up a lot of times as we continue to plan with foresight and as we continue to have development, I'd love to see something like this in future development, right? Like, and I think that's where we're going with this, right? With AP2, whenever it shows East of Leisure Town, um, all of that community gardens, but also potentially in the Northeast growth area in the industrial area to have a community garden for the workers there. Um, but we know we have a, um, a distinct line between city and county, right? So what is the county doing? How could we how could we partner with the county on that? Because Solano County is an agriculture county. Period, no offense, but go read the general plan. 
So what can we do as we come up to that line to where the county and the city, is there county land that we could work with or does that make sense? Kind of when I'm spitballing it right now? Uh, certainly we can we can reach out to our colleagues over at the county to see, do they have any resources? When you get close to the county uh, edge and the, the dynamic about what occurs with agricultural production yeah. is drastically different. You're involving pesticides, you're involving uh, um, machinery and a lot more things that can kick up a lot more dust. So there is a fine line between the barriers. When you're talking about uh, new development, uh, absolutely, we are looking at exploring methods. Most of new development is maintained by HOAs. So for instance, one of the proposals for North Village was that their area plan too includes uh, all these greenery areas uh, maintained by the HOA, which includes areas for community gardens. Um, so they, yeah, certainly that that's the intended uh, forecast is um, getting those types of features within new development areas, but also how do we help existing areas that might be considering converting some of their common open space. So with the HOA, the HOA would be responsible for maintaining because we just heard the cost of $300,000. So that HOA would be responsible for maintaining wherever it's located, right? The cost associated with it is the actual creation. So you're when you create something brand new, you're talking about adding a water line that might involve opening up the street. You're talking about drawing out the irrigation, purchasing all the materials for the soil. You might have to change out the soil in the, in the specific area that's not conducive for accepting uh, uh, plants that you're looking at growing, sheds, fencing, the management of an individual from the Parks and Recreation Department to uh, be the facilitator with individual owners who might be looking at trying to rent a plot of land uh, within that community garden. So all of that is what we're saying is is by somebody who's already doing it within a different jurisdiction, they're quoting, that's about how much you're looking at to have a new community garden, maintaining it year by year is about that cost. They're prioritizing it a little bit differently, finding different funding mechanisms to do that. Um, so that's why, and, and as Director Morris mentioned about um, how the Parks and Recreation Department, that's within their wheelhouse. So right. it's not that you would expect to see that that being a cost for private HOAs because in new developments, it'd be the developer that'd be responsible for implementing the construction and installation of all those hard uh, infrastructure improvements. The eventual maintenance would be done by the HOA. Right. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the question. Commissioner Wilkerson, anything, any other? Okay. Um, other commissioners wish to comment? Okay. Um, we're, do you guys need any other feedback from us or do you have what you need? This is great. Yeah. Okay. This is great. We can certainly add the additional information um, from UC Davis Extension. We'll, we'll research and look into that and see if there's any additional references that we can do. Um, and then see if there's anything with Solano County that we might be able to add to. Yeah, the UC program is a statewide initiative called Agriculture, Ag and Natural Resources. It's ANR is the, is the acronym. It's UC ANR. And they've got these extensions set up all throughout the state. It's a public benefit that they provide. Um, and it's a tremendous asset for the communities that they operate on. If we could look into that, I think that that was a terrific suggestion from Vice Chair Rudin. Thank you and uh, nice job. Yeah. With that, we will move on to item eight, uh, Director Morris report. Um, Director Morris, can you please proceed? Will do. Um, as uh, planning manager Bevan uh, takes his seat and fires up the presentation. 
while he's doing that, I just want to compliment our two UC Davis interns. Our current crew of planning interns comes from two different colleges. Diablo Valley College was Angelina's uh, current school. And then these two are both from Davis. Thank you. Just a shout out. Oh, look at that. Thank you, Piemont. <laughs> okay, so let's go into the next slide, please. Um, since the last planning commission meeting, um, the city council uh, did a second reading of the Weber Road Development Agreement. That agreement has been executed for the temporary construction staging yard up in the Northeast Growth Area. Um, and that will bring about $200,000 to the city to help fund the Northeast Growth Area specific plan. Multiple installment payment, but still, it's gonna be great. On November 15th, the council had a very special meeting at ULATIS to talk about two topics, uh, the city's flag policy and the city's proclamation policy. Uh, there was a ton of public testimony and discussion. Ultimately, the council is moving forward with um, a government speech flag policy that will allow the council to decide um, which flags that relate to federal or state recognized um, events or peoples will be flown on the flagpole downtown. And so there'll be another um, either a very long regular meeting or a special meeting of the council in the new year to figure out which flags will be going on the pole downtown. Um, so long story short, it was a long evening, but the council did make a decision that will then lead to another decision about more specifics. Uh, the proclamation policy, uh, which is how the city decides which things to recognize at council or privately was discussed, but no action was taken. It was more just a council discussion. Um, we have an upcoming final council meeting of the year, unless something new is presented. Uh, we have a lot of items for this department. We have the two items the Planning Commission reviewed at the last meeting, um, the housing element implementation items for 719 Markham and the land use policy changes to implement the housing element. Uh, we have the digital billboard zoning text amendment initiation hearing after doing some outreach um, and we have, we're bringing options to the council for how they'd like to proceed uh, with the goal of bringing an ordinance to planning commission in the spring and to council by the summertime. And then lastly, we're bringing forward an update to the city's building code related to unreinforced masonry buildings. There were 24 in the early 90s. There are now 11 left. And this code amendment is, it, they're all downtown. This code amendment is intended to make it easier for owners and prospective tenants to retrofit these buildings. Uh, tentative schedule of future items for the Planning Commission. Uh, the Millennium Center item will be on the next agenda. Um, it was an unfortunate noticing error that occurred, but now we're back on track. Um, and then we also have a bunch of housing element implementation items that you can look forward to, more details to follow. It's gonna be very exciting. Um, on to the Building Division monthly report. Um, November was, um, was still a steady month with 256 building permits issued. Um, we didn't get any multifamily. Uh, we issued two ADU permits, 43 solar permits, and collected about $664,000 in fees uh, and almost, completed almost 1,000 inspections. That's very standard in the building division with three inspectors, and they're not even three full-time inspectors. They do about 1,000 inspections a month. So revenue is down a little bit, um, but uh, year-to-date, uh, things are going well in the building division, and they are very busy with 12,000 inspections year-to-date, and this is just the end of November. 1,000 a month I spoke to. Um, activity trends, this just shows you the year so far and it shows you the spike of activity we had in March and April and how things have been slowing down a bit but still are, are steady. Um, I'll, we can move on to the next slide. And then uh, this is the inspection data, again, just kind of in a graphic display of how many building inspections are occurring every month with our very small building inspection team. Let's go on to the next slide. And then this slide depicts the relationship between solar permits and single family permits. Um, and you can just tell they really are trending very similarly. So 
on to planning. Planning Manager Bidond. Good evening, good evening uh, Chair, Planning Commission. So in terms of the current planning uh, monthly report for District 1, uh, the new application that was received was for is for the uh, North Village townhomes, uh, Mariani preliminary parcel map, and Chevron uh, CNG fueling. Uh, no projects were approved for District 1, and then miscellaneous uh, plan check items for residential improvements. Uh, for District 2, Kairos Public Charter School time extension, this was a project that was approved in 21. Uh, that's requesting a two-year uh, time extension of their approval. Uh, what we approved was the um, some interior and exterior changes to the smaller banquet hall for Sunrise Banquet Hall, which is at the corner of Orange and Orange Tree Circle. Uh, building permits uh, for Roberts Ranch Entry Monument, uh, Roberts Ranch House Plans, and miscellaneous um, residential and commercial uh, permits. Uh, for District 3, uh, Christmas tree lots are coming in, so we got one there. Uh, Peabody auto body um, perimeter fence, and what we approved was always best care senior services on Davis Street, uh, Harmony Village that the Planning Commission approved, and uh, a Christmas tree lot. In terms of building permits, they were uh, mostly related to commercial tenant improvements. Uh, for District 4, uh, Christmas tree lot uh, was a new application I received. We approved it right away, our staff did. Uh, in terms of building permits, uh, mostly uh, residential improvements as well. Uh, for District 5, uh, no new applications. Uh, what we did approve was really um, one of the first approvals uh, for this Lower Lugan Valley project, which was their uh, welcome center, and um, which is a big deal. Uh, things are moving along, as, you, as everybody knows there, so this was a big deal to get that first approval out. Um, and then building permits also related to residential uh, repairs. Uh, for District 6, uh, no new uh, projects. Uh, what we approved were house plans um, for a Village of Andon and then Village of Andon um, and Southtown house plans for building permits. Uh, in terms of uh, advanced planning, not a lot of changes. We're just moving forward with some of the items that we mentioned um, uh, last month. Uh, as Director Morris mentioned, we are taking two projects to next week's um, City Council meeting related to 719 Markham and our land use um, policies. Uh, for Allison Prior Development Area, um, there was a grant that was um, for the city for $1.2 million. Uh, Community Development Department is working on uh, preparing the RFP for that. Uh, same thing with the inclusionary housing that the City Council authorized staff to do in October. Uh, we're preparing the um, RFP for that as well. Uh, Urban Reserve, um, as we mentioned last month, the City Council uh, authorized staff to proceed with exploring land use uh, planning in those urban reserve areas and we're currently working on outreach efforts um, to uh, to get that started. Director Morris. Final announcements. Um, we are in recruitment mode right now. Um, have offers out to an assistant director and a permit technician. Have been unsuccessful so far in offering the plan check engineer to somebody who will come on board, but we're working on it um, and we're, we're, we're excited to have applicants. And then we'll be conducting senior planner interviews this month um, to replace the advanced planning senior planner position. So that's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, before we get there, I do want to announce that we have a, a survey live on our website. It's um, on the back of a website pertaining to digital freeway billboards. It's just a one-minute survey. If you want to take it, you're welcome to tell your friends, um, folks you know, or try to just get that additional round of public input on how Vacaville residents and property owners feel about uh, 
um, placing new digital uh, freeway billboards um, on various parts of 80 or 505 or both or neither. So please participate. Um, and then um, planning commission applications are due for the next round. I believe four of you are up, perhaps. I think it's four. I have to go. I have notes on my office wall to remind me every day, but I, I forget to look. Uh, so get your applications in because that will be um, happening and um, some commissioners will be either reappointed or selected uh, um, early on in the new year. And those are all the announcements I have. When are those apps due for the commission? Looking at uh, Clerk Tillotson to see if she knows. I believe they'll be due the first part of January. And they begin their terms in March? Yes. And Director Morris? Um, I do have a question about um, the District 2 um, time extension for Kairos. What, what, what's, what is that? Um, it's a, a TK to 8th grade um, school that was approved uh, to be located in Brighton Landing back in uh, 2021. And they have moved forward, so they're asking for that approval to be extended. Okay. Um, lots of Christmas trees, huh? <laughs> lots of Christmas trees, yeah. <laughs> Well, very nice job. Thank you. Okay. Um, well, with that, now it's time for Commissioner comments, um, starting with Commissioner Wilkerson. Yes, thank you so much. Just two quick comments. Um, last Monday, Commissioner Fortney, um, myself, and Commissioner Ritchie attended, sorry, uh, Councilmember Ritchie, attended the Festival of Trees, um, put on for Benefit for Opportunity House, and it was a fantastic event, and we just want to publicly acknowledge um, Ashley Banta and her team for a fantastic job of putting that event on. It was, I believe, the most money ever raised um, for the Festival of Trees, and so she did a fantastic job. We just wanted to publicly acknowledge, and uh, Commissioner Fortney called you a rock star. So um, I also wanted to give a quick um, personal shout out to um, one of my best friends I grew up with. He is um, unfortunately diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and um, I, I just want to publicly acknowledge, let him know I'm thinking about him. Um, I, I was complaining to him about my wife's going to start running a marathon and all the things that it, it goes into and the training and the schedule and the kids and stuff. And he just quietly listened to me. Um, and he said, John, just run while you still can. And it, it really touched me. And so this month of December, I'm running two miles a day in honor for him through the American um, Cancer Society. But um, just be, you don't know when things like this are gonna come up. You know, he's 43 years old. That, that's a young age for pancreatic cancer. And um, he, he, is, he is my best friend. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm riding with him and he's gonna get through it. So thank you. Sorry to hear that, and I appreciate. Um, well, think of your your friend. Um, thank you for other comments. Yeah, I just wanted to say how proud I was of our city for passing the flag policy and kind of coming to a getting closer to a decision on that, um, and how many people on our city council stepped up and promoted acceptance of multiple different groups of people in this this community and it meant a lot to me so i was really proud of that and then i did just want to kind of acknowledge um 
that this month, December 21st, is actually recognized as Homeless Persons Memorial Day. Um, and I think that's just really important to acknowledge that, especially with how cold it is getting outside. And it's the longest night of the year in the beginning of the winter solstice. And, um, you know, with one of our goals being housing for all, I just think it's really important for our city to remember that that housing for all means all people. And so December 21st is for those that people that have passed away while homeless. So. I just wanted to thank our interns. You guys did a great job. It's kind of scary. Um, and I, <laughs> um, I don't have much for District 6, but I just want to wish everybody happy holidays and happy new year. And we'll see you guys in the new year. Uh, couldn't have said it better myself. I uh, second those comments. And with that, uh, we're adjourned. Thank you. The city of Vacaville wants to hear from you. Our city is embarking on an effort to engage the community and to collect feedback that will help guide the creation of a digital freeway billboard ordinance.